Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast, and welcome to the last 12 days of this race to election day. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and with me, political correspondent and podcast co-host, Alex Rorty. Hello, Alex. Kristen, I'm pumped for today's show. I am, I am ready. I was preparing last night. I am ready to talk about this campaign. I'm ready to hear what you have to say, and I, I, I will I will definitely try not to beat you down too much. Joining us today is Francesca Chambers, a White House correspondent for McClatchy, who is covering President Trump's re-election campaign. Francesca, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Kristen. I spent five minutes before this program preparing. So, Alex, <laughs> I'm teasing. I've also been preparing I mean, that that actually works better. In all seriousness, having it like on the fly as opposed to being rehearsed. Oh, I'm just joking. She's joking. She was born prepared. I right? wouldn't be joking. If I <laughs> that. That's what. It, when I hear that, I'm like, oh no, that's what that's what I usually. Do. All right, guys, listen, we've spent the last few weeks diving very deeply into battleground states to figure out how the race has been playing out on the ground in the states we think will matter. We've also been identifying counties that matter most on Election Day or in this whole pre-early voting season. But in this episode, which is our penultimate episode before Election Day, we bring all of that together and talk about each candidate's path to an electoral college win. You know, polling is one thing, but the path to 270 is another. And America saw that dynamic play out in 2016, as I'm sure everybody remembers. So we'll spend the next 20 minutes walking the path that each campaign sees to an electoral college win. And this is the view from political professionals inside each party. So let's start. And Alex, I'm going to you first. Obviously, the polling national and battleground, as well as internals, show multiple paths for Biden. What is the most obvious path? I think the most obvious path is through the upper Midwest. It is re rebuilding the blue wall Democrats lost in 2016. And that means Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. The polling there is better for him than in some of the other core battleground states. When you look at where Donald Trump has suffered the most since the pandemic, since his response to the George Floyd protest, it really is concentrated among a lot of white voters and white voters with a college degree in particular, but also extending, I think, into sort of a non-evangelical working white working class base that we've talked about in, in some of the old episodes when Tim Alberta was on and we were talking about Michigan, we talked about those voters who are more moderate, who are more persuadable and who are not all that happy with Donald Trump's job performance right now. And, and again, to the point I made at the top, this you, this is reflected in the polls, um, particularly in places like Wisconsin and Michigan. It's a question how competitive those states even are at this point. I think there are still some questions about Pennsylvania. But look, you have recent polling even this week that shows Joe Biden with a nine point lead in, in Pennsylvania. And so that's kind of the, the state of things. The races are much closer in places like Florida, which, of course, I mean, it's always going to be close in Florida no matter what but also North Carolina, also Arizona. In fact, a poll out just today, now this is something of an outlier, but actually shows Donald Trump with a one-point edge in, in Arizona. Joe Biden is still leading in, in the overall averages, but his margins are smaller in some of these other Sunbelt states. Um, and that's why I think that that, according to the polling at least, that's Joe Biden's path of least resistance right now. And I would throw in, it's a whole reason that places like Iowa and Ohio where Donald Trump won huge in 2016, almost by double digits in both. 
that's why those states are also competitive. And it's not inconceivable that, that Joe Biden could win both of those on election day as well. So Francesca, jump in here. The Trump path looks narrow. If you're looking at the polling and lining that up against the electoral college votes of each of these battleground states, the path looks narrow. What, but what does the campaign see? Okay. Well, I do think that there's a huge difference between what the campaign says it sees and what the actual path is at this point. They can talk all day long about how he's going to expand the map and that they have all these options, but the polling does not indicate that, Kristen. And it's and it's not just polling. I mean, it's focus groups. There's a lot of other information. It's early voting totals that would suggest that his path is much more narrow than they originally anticipated that it would be. And take a look at their actions. They have completely pulled down out advertising in Wisconsin all the way up until the election. The RNC still does have advertising there and have bumped it up. So perhaps that's why the Trump campaign feels that they do not need to have it there. But it doesn't change the fact that they've completely pulled it down. They are down this week in Ohio. That one could be more that they feel confident. They feel more confident in Ohio than they did before. But there's no way that pulling down the advertising in Wisconsin is, is, a, is a measure of confidence. What I have been told by Republicans and Democrats is of those upper middle west bad battleground states is that Pennsylvania does look like it could go for Donald Trump the most. That's probably his best bet there. As Alex was noting, he's still behind there, but not as significantly as he's behind in Michigan and Wisconsin. But take it from Donald Trump himself as to what he sees his pathway to victory. On a call with his staff on Monday morning, which he did not seem to know that some reporters were on the line, he said that he was going to run up and down the coast with Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, and he said South Carolina and seemed to be referring to Pennsylvania as well. And I and I think that polling does support that those are his, that's his best shot at this point. You know, it is hard for me to see Biden taking Florida. And if Trump takes Florida and North Carolina, the race is very much in play for him. Can I mean, can you argue against that piece of it, Alex? If Trump if Trump takes North Carolina mm-hmm. and takes Florida, it's hard to see Biden walking out of this with the win. Oh, no, I I disagree with that. I mean, I I mean, those are those just those two states alone represent a huge number of electoral votes. And so if Donald Trump is winning those states, yes, this is a a absolutely a, a very competitive race. But of the core six battlegrounds, I think it's generally seen that Florida and North Carolina are the least likely to to swing toward Joe Biden this time around, because he could still win. Arizona, although it would be a very close race, I think, in in that case. And again, I go back to the upper Midwest, where it just seems like there has been a little bit of a bifurcation in among those core six, where the the states down south have remained close and and competitive. And the states in the upper Midwest, Joe Biden has is is performing better and holds comfortable leads again to the point. I mean, to Francesca's point, what I mentioned earlier, I mean, I think there are real questions about how competitive Michigan and Wisconsin even are at this point. Now, I will say for for Donald Trump, I mean, if he does pull out Florida, I mean, you have to say then a state like Georgia is very unlikely right. for, for Joe Biden to win. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at here, sure. Alex. I mean, if you if you if you say, I mean, and look at the polling in North Carolina. Everybody likes everybody on the Democratic side likes to get really gaga over the potential of North Carolina, but none of those polls are outside of the margin. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be an incredibly tight race there. And we already know how tight it's going to be in Florida. And I think what you, you know, we talked about this in the past couple of shows, whoever takes 
North Carolina, that gives you indications around a lot of other states that everybody believes are in play. Everybody believes 12 days out are still in play somehow. Right. And that's why I'm saying if you combine those two states where, frankly, Donald Trump has an edge. Biden's path gets more narrow is oh. what I'm saying. It gets dramatically smaller and more difficult. Well, I would, I, would, I would just say that, I mean, if that were to happen, obviously you're ruling out any kind of Joe Biden blowout. And to be clear, Democrats are absolutely talking about a Joe Biden blowout. In fact, oh, some I know. Republicans I know they are. are. And, and to be fair, a lot of Republicans Democrats are Democrats were talking about a blowout four years ago. Sure. Democrats are talking about a blowout four years ago. They they, they were. I mean, we, we can get into some of the, the, the distinctions that I, I would make now. But yeah, I mean, look, they were. And if Joe Biden loses Florida, he loses North Carolina, let's even throw out Arizona. Obviously, he's not blowing anyone out. However... You know, then it becomes a race just to 270 to hit the to hit the floor to hit That's that right. minimum path, and yes, he can do that through the the upper Midwest. Now, in, in a point in Donald Trump's favor is I think, barring some change in this race in the last two weeks, that if Trump does win those states that you mentioned, that it would indicate there is some kind of polling error. That that shocker. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, surprise, surprise, we're going to talk about polling error on, the, on this on this show. And it would suggest that maybe those races in the upper Midwest could be competitive. It absolutely could happen. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't I don't doubt it. And, and I think there's something to say about this race that, again, two weeks out, there's still a wide variance. There's still a wide range of possibilities this year between a relatively easy Joe Biden win that we even know of, despite all the mail voting that we would know and maybe even be able to declare election night and an incredibly tight race. That includes Donald Trump winning. Uh, I think all of it is still on on the table in some form or fashion. So, so if there's a 2016 style surprise, Francesca, where do you think that plays out? I don't think, Kristen, that North Carolina and Florida are necessarily indicative of what ends up happening. I will say if there is some sort of a, a surprise in, in one of those states, Barack Obama also lost, lost North Carolina and won this election. So I don't think you absolutely have to win North Carolina. If... The president were to lose a Texas or a Georgia, which again, I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. But if you, I don't think that's going to happen. I see you nodding no, but, but it is the polling is tight there. The polling is tight there. Then I think that, right, we would all be shocked. I don't think that's going to happen. I would be shocked if that happened. I do believe it is a race to 270 and that we probably won't know the result until Arizona, which is going to come in so much later than all these other states. So I'm hesitant to start right having like a mass freak out on a blue wave or a red wave too early in the evening until we know what the result of that state is that the, that the Trump campaign also believes could be a deciding factor here. Also, Nevada. The Trump campaign did not win Nevada last time, but they've put a lot of resources into Nevada this time, putting the candidate there significantly in the past few days of this race, as well as Arizona. So I think we have to look to those two states before we start making Where's any decisions surprise, on election Alex? night. I, I think it would have to be um, in one of the upper Midwest states. It would have to be polling error. It's been funny reporting, talking with a lot of Republicans and Democrats in the last couple of days, particularly those who focus more down the ballot on congressional races. There is a broad agreement that Trump's path to victory is polling error right now, that if you look at the polls and take them at face value, that it just doesn't exist right now. So I, I think that's it. I think it's probably concentrated in, in Pennsylvania. Um, that seems like the most likely state. I mean, there has been some reporting that the Biden team even now sees Arizona as more likely um, to, to flip uh, in their direction than, than Pennsylvania. So that that's where I would... I would look to, and I think, you know, I talked with a Democratic um, data expert 
the other day and I, I tried to, to really get him specific, right? Like, where where is your concern? Don't just tell me polling error. Tell me why right. the polls would right. be off. And his, his answer was that he will admit that it is difficult to predict turnout, particularly that if there is a surge of turnout on Donald Trump's behalf, um, that they, the tools at his disposal are not quite as good as, as, as opposed to like predicting people who change their opinion, like in the Philadelphia suburbs, right? They can, they can detect and measure that. The surge is a, is a difficult question. Now, to be very clear, I mean, this person would also say that it's not just that there needs to be a surge in turnout. There needs to be a surge in turnout that's greater than the surge in turnout we're already seeing on our side through early voting, where it's not just our regular voters who are turning out. People who have never participated in this process before, who we think are Democrats, are turning out at, you know, astronomical rates. So and 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 just just to remind listeners, when you say our side, who was talking? This there? is a Democratic uh, data expert. So yeah. this is someone from the who is who is very um, you know looking into the early voting is is usually a, a fool's errand. Um, it's always very tricky. It was one of the mistakes we made in 2016. I know, but this year, there, I mean, this year you have to look at that well, data. It, I mean, and 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 so every, well, everything does come with a big caveat. And and this guy's named Tom Bonnier would say the same thing. But he, as as much as anyone, is is qualified to sort of sift through it and look at some trends that might uh, continue through election day. One of them is that participation from Democratic-leaning voters who have not voted before, didn't vote in 2016, is, is surging. So his point is, yes, there could be, and in fact, probably will be a surge in turnout from Trump-friendly voters, maybe even the people who haven't, who didn't vote in 2016. It's just that for that to, to count as a polling error, for that to count as something that they don't see coming, it has to be even greater than the, the turnout surge we see on on the left. But that's it, right? That's that's the the unknown area, and that's something, Chris, and we were writing about last year um, as a huge part of the Trump strategy, finding people who didn't support him in 2016, turning them out in 2020. And I think by a lot of appearances, they've, they've had success with that. You can mark the moment because I agree with you on Pennsylvania. Which was really my question. Right? <laughs> that sounds that sounds about right. Well, everything, all roads lead back to Pennsylvania for me well, uh, when it comes to, when it comes <laughs> when to politics. You and me, it does. Yes. When do you get in the car and drive to Pennsylvania? Sometime next week. When, when we're okay, done with the podcast, good. is when I figure out my trip <laughs> there next week. So, Francesca, before we turn to the last part of the show, I want you to bring us a little bit deeper inside of the Trump campaign. There is always a difference. There's always daylight between what they really believe and what they say, which is not dissimilar from other campaigns, right? It's all about setting external expectations. But you're right that they are looking in at Arizona. So, so based on the reporting you have, the sourcing you have, Tell us more about what you expect them to be doing in the final week to juice that turnout on the Republican side in a state like Arizona. So the number one thing that they're doing is is drumming up the number of times that Donald Trump is out on the campaign trail. And I understand that some of that is a function of the fact that he was hospitalized before. But even then, he wasn't doing three, five, six rallies a day. That's what he says he's going to do now is five to six rallies every single day. And we know that he can because towards the end of the, the election last time, he was doing that many rallies in the final days of the, the campaign. And he really credits that 
and believes that that is a reason that he won. He truly does believe that, and that's why they're replicating that same 2016 playbook. And we've seen him generally trying to replicate the 2016 playbook, I think. They, they just think that if they could just do that again, everything they did last time, that they're going to do, a, they're, they're going to be great here. And I'll be writing about this more in the next week, but there is a lot of concern among Republicans that you can't just mimic the 2016 playbook, and that's just going to bring it across the finish line for him. That you can't even necessarily just say, well, we visited Wisconsin once, you know, in the end, and that's really what did it for us. So those are the things that I, the the indicators that I'm paying attention to in in the final days of this campaign. Does really all the things that he did before, does that work for him now? And there's a lot of evidence that it doesn't, but but, but that's that's where the question is. I think there could be a lot of questions, Francesca, about if Donald Trump does lose, what about the strategy about the, some of the things that happened internally, going to be a lot of focus on the fundraising and where the money went. Um, I foresee that. It doesn't take a genius uh, to, to foresee that that is going to be an area of interest after the election if he does lose this race. You know, but even on the even on the money side, they, they don't feel that that's fundamentally what their problem is. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think to a certain extent, how many more ads can you put on the airwaves right now? Is it really that they don't have enough advertising in Florida, there's enough advertising. Please stop with the advertising in Florida. I'm inundated. Oh my gosh, I can't take one more. Unless you want to put that advertising in um, a paper we own, right? No, just <laughs> Francesca, excellent point. Well done. <laughs> but as far as it goes to television advertising, you're right. They're, they're already flooding these states. And so I just don't know that if they had an extra 100 mil cash on hand right now, but in advertising these states, that's really going to be the thing that would have done it for Donald Trump. Many, many of the undecided voters in these focus groups are saying that it's the candidate. It's the candidate's message that is the problem. So so they can put him up there in six rallies, giving that same message every day. But if people don't agree with that message and they're tired of hearing about Hunter Biden, then you're not going to win him over, period. I mean, listen, I get the last word on this because I'm the boss. In 2016, 12 days to the election, Clinton was up 3.8%. Today, 12 days from the election, Biden is up roughly the same, 4.2%. So let's be super duper clear that this doesn't clear the margin of error. Are you talking about nationally or in the the states? I'm sorry. In the battleground states, 2020 versus 2016, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, North Carolina and Arizona. And Kristen, I would just say there are two recent explanations for this. You can take it the Franklin's explanation or the Barack Obama explanation. Barack Obama last night said it was complacency. He was up. Maybe Hillary Clinton was up by that much and then people just didn't come out to vote or the Frank Luntz explanation is that nationally, Hillary Clinton was up by that amount and she won the popular vote. That's absolutely right. That's why that's why, you know, the popularity contest is different from the race to 270, which is the whole point of this show. Right. All right. Let, let's go. Let's go to my favorite part of the show where you all get to tell our listeners something they do not know. Alex, you go first. Well, speaking of some of my reporting this week, it's an interesting phenomenon and I'm not really sure what to make of it. Again, reporting extensively with strategists in both parties who are focused on down the ballot on congressional races, Republicans and Democrats alike, more bearish about Donald Trump's chances than, than what you get when you talk to people, again, in both parties who are focused on the presidential race. In other words, uh, Senate Republican strategists or House Democratic strategists both paint a very bearish picture for the president. They both see a very favorable or unfavorable, depending on their party, environment. But when you talk to, say, a Democratic strategist who's focused on the presidential race, they're much more cautious. There's a lot more, well, we think we have a lead, but it's not as big as the public polling suggests, and we're still worried about X, Y, and Z. 
I just found that interesting. Again, I'm not even sure what to make of that. I don't know which side is, is, is more accurate, but it was just an interesting phenomenon that kind of uh, unveiled itself over the last few days of, of reporting. Francesca, you're up. I'm also going to just emphasize something that I, that I wrote about this week, but I believe that it is very important in a state like Florida. So the Trump campaign recognizes that they are not winning groups that they won in 2016 in the same proportion that they did. And they are trying to look for votes elsewhere. And they're finding it in some particularly unlikely places. They're trying to drive up their margins with Hispanic voters and with black voters in order to make up for losses with groups like seniors, which is why I bring up Florida. Now, that's not to say that they're abandoning the idea of needing to win the senior vote. That's a group that is largely and heavily went for conservatives and Republicans in the past. But they do recognize that there has been some slippage is the way that it's been put and that they need to make up those votes elsewhere. And can they drive it up enough with those other groups to make up for a group like seniors in Florida? I don't know. But I think we all agree that Donald Trump is likely to, to win Florida. So maybe maybe it work. All right. Thank you both for joining our show, Francesca. It's been good to have you on the show. We don't do that enough. And thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, our executive producer, Davin Coburn, and of course, our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. Talk to you next week.